Take your Bibles this morning. We're looking at the book of 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy, last week we were in chapter number 1. This week we are in chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Continuing our series, Brother Ricky, on faithful sayings. And uh, faithful sayings. Looking forward to uh, going through this. I'm going to ask, could you, I'm going to have you sit down there. And uh, I need some help preaching this morning. I need some people to say amen this morning. And uh, we're tired today. It's okay. You lost an hour of sleep. You got an excuse this time, right? And uh, how many were looking for one? Put your hands down. Uh, But I'm missing Brother Tom Williams is not here this morning. He's traveling. Brother Ricky. Sorry, not Brother Ricky, but Brother Reno is not here this morning. I was worried, Brother Mark. I was worried. I didn't see you when the service started, and I thought if I'm missing Brother Mark... And Brother Reno and Brother Tom, outside of Brother Ricky, who's going to say amen this morning? That I'm going to hear. That I'm going to hear. And uh, so I know there's a couple of you out there. And uh, I need you to help me preach this morning. Amen? Amen. God is good. Amen? Amen. There we go. Hey, there's a few of you that joined in there. And uh, what a blessing. Last week, uh, we talked about this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation or exception that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. Isn't that good news? That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That means he came to save me and he came to save you. We're looking at our second of faithful sayings that we find uh, here between Timothy and the book of Titus. Would you stand with me this morning? First Timothy chapter number four. And I want you to look there with me at verse number six. First Timothy chapter number four, verse number six. Follow along with me as I read, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Verse number eight, for bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer approach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. We have this morning another faithful saying. A faithful saying worth you accepting because God said it. Matter of fact, everything that God says is worthy of accepting. It's a faithful saying. But the Holy Spirit is drawing special attention to this for us today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We do pray that you'd meet with us now. We pray your Holy Spirit would be evident. Father, I pray that you allow your Holy Spirit to help me say exactly what you want said, nothing more, nothing less. Father, I yield myself to you this morning as I preach your word. And Father, I'm also a listener of your word as it's being preached. And God, I pray that I would practice that which is talked about this morning. I pray that you speak to my heart as well as all of our hearts this morning. Would you give us a truth that we could walk home with, that we could take with us, that we could make application to our lives and May we be better Christians for it. Thank you for your spirit drawing attention to a few of these, what what you call faithful sayings. And 
God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts once again. We'll thank you and praise you for in the name of your son, Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to our text this morning, Paul reminds the preacher of the importance of his job to communicate the word of God. The preacher is not supposed to preach opinion. A good preacher does not preach just what's popular or just what's current of the time. Now, preachers like amens, but we should never deliver a sermon for an amen. We should never deliver a truth, a something, and there's always those things that you know you can say it just to, just to get amen. A minister is supposed to be faithful in delivering the word. There's a lot of preaching that floats around that is not centered on the Bible, rather it's centered on man's opinion. Paul tells Timothy to refuse myths and the tales of man. As a matter of fact, six different times in First and Second Timothy, uh, Paul will mention uh, to Timothy about not falling prey to myths and genealogies and foolish questions and man's philosophy. He says to stay clear of building the message around vain traditions and the commandments of men. And there's a challenge that Paul gives to the good minister to be faithful in delivering good doctrine and words of faith. Now, let me say, as a preacher, that that's not always easy. Neither is it always popular to preach what the Word of God says. How many understand that every now and then the Word of God steps on our toes? I'm not looking for anybody to step on my toe. But every now and then, the Word of God does that to me. Every now and then, the Word of God hurts my feelings. I was with somebody yesterday, and we were chatting about ministry, and they were talking about a conversation they had with a, a pastor, and uh, how that pastor had said some things, and the young man said, it took me three days to get over it. How many have ever heard something that took a couple days to get over it? But he said, after those three days, I manned up and realized that's what I needed to hear. Every now and then, the word of God that is being preached hurts our feelings. Every now and then, when good doctrine is preached, our flesh might squirm a little bit. Our flesh might disagree with it a little bit. But good doctrine is necessary for spiritual growth and for the building of our faith. So Paul gives Timothy, a young preacher boy, a very pointed command. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Don't chase all those man's philosophies and, and tales and uh, fairy tales and myths. Don't chase those, but be planted firmly. Exercise thyself to godliness. The Greek and Roman culture of Paul's day put a very high emphasis on physical exercise. Athletics was a huge part of the culture as scripture is being written. The Olympic Games were taking place there in Rome and people were lifted up based on how they could perform and what they could do. And here Paul tells Timothy that the same effort and commitment that others put towards physical exercise should be put towards our pursuit of godliness. He encourages him to combat the world's philosophies by exercising, by training in being Christ-like. 
Paul then delivers to Timothy another faithful saying. He tells Timothy, Timothy, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And then he's going to go give us more information about that statement. He's going to give us a better clarity, Brother Dave, about that statement. And that clarity that he gives is a faithful saying worthy of your and I's accepting. Look there with me at verse number 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What is Paul teaching the Christian? What does this faithful saying mean to you and I as believers in church this morning? A couple thoughts. Number one, there is some profit to bodily exercise. Let me say that again. There is some profit to bodily exercise. We cannot take this faithful saying and say that bodily exercise doesn't mean anything. And that you don't need to lift, you don't need to run, you don't need to walk, you don't need to take care of your body because, hey, the bodily exercise doesn't profit at all. No, that's, that's not what Paul said. I've got one body to serve the Lord with. Exercise is profitable. Movement is profitable. Stretching is profitable. It hurts. But it's profitable. Staying in shape is profitable. Taking care of your body is profitable. I said it just a minute ago. I got one, I got one life. God gave me one body to serve him with. I got one chance at it. I don't know when the trumpet's going to sound or my time's going to be done, but the minute that is, I can't do anything more. And God forbid that I waste my time on here on earth because I did not exercise, I did not take care of myself. There's too, too much that hinges on it. Bodily exercise does profit. You know, there's nothing like having a 400 pound preacher tell you that smoking is going to kill you. Cholesterol is going to kill you. Right? Broadly exercise does profit. There's profit in it. There's profit in stretching and lifting and CrossFit and jogging and running and sports and physical education and kids' little league and t-ball. There's profit in getting your kids out there for activities. I'm glad my parents allowed me to play sports. I'm glad they, they allowed me to play baseball and, and basketball and soccer and uh, take me to practice after practice after practice and game after game after game and uh, special practice after special practice and early morning gym time after early morning gym time. I'm glad my parents did all of that for me. And it's foolish to say that that was a waste of time because there is profit in it. But Paul encourages us, number two, to keep bodily exercise in perspective. To keep bodily exercise in perspective. For bodily exercise profiteth little. There is profit. Let me say this this morning. Not as much profit as our culture places on it. Who is worshipped today? Those who can throw a football. Who is worshipped today? Those who can lift the most. The one who can dribble, dribble a basketball or shoot a basketball the best. The one who can kick a ball around a field and all of a sudden uh, they're praised and worshipped. 
Bodily exercise does profit, but not as much as our culture says it does. You see, we live in a culture that places catching a football over catching a truth from God's word. We live in a culture that uh, memorizes plays and believes that memorizing plays for sports is more important than memorizing scripture. Where making it to home plate is better than making it to church on Sunday morning. Where lifting weights is more important than lifting the Bible to read, where CrossFit is more important than the work of the cross. Bodily exercise does profit, but it profits little. Now, it's not that bodily exercise doesn't profit, it's that our culture places a greater emphasis on that than being a godly person. Now, there's always one that says, well, that's why I don't let my kids play sports. Because bodily exercise doesn't profit. I don't want my kids to worship athletics, and, and neither do I. The same parent that says that usually allows their kid to sit for three and four hours in front of a TV or video games. That doesn't profit at all, my friend. I said earlier, I'm glad my parents let me play sports. But I'm glad they kept it in perspective. We never miss church for practice. We never miss church to play a baseball game. We never miss church or a revival for a sporting event. We never miss scheduled youth activities for an athletic event. Preaching was praised more than athletic performance. Memorizing scripture was encouraged more than knowing and memorizing how to slide into second base. Reading our Bible was praised more than making a basket. Paul was living in a culture when young men were being praised for their athletic ability, where young men were being touted for their performance in the Roman games, where popularity was contingent on how fast you could run or how far you could throw. And Paul was trying to keep Timothy in the right mindset, the right focus. For bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. We said... Godly or bodily exercise does profit. It doesn't profit as much as our culture places on it. But number three, there is far greater profit in godliness. You can say amen there. You got quiet. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. It's okay. There's a far greater priority on godliness. The Pastor Frost, what is godliness? Have the, the character an attitude of God. Uh, living holy at all manners of conversation in life. Allowing God's wisdom to be the way you walk and the way you talk. Resembling your heavenly Father. It is the knowledge of what God desires and then the obedience to carry out what God desires in your life. It is living your life in the presence of God under the authority of God, for the glory of God. As Major Ian Thomas said, true godliness leaves the world convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only explanation for you is Jesus Christ, to whom eternally unchanging and altogether adequate I am, your heart has learned to say in unshatterable faith, thou art. Understanding what it's like to follow God and the ways of God. 
unfortunately, though, godliness is given very little time today. And, frankly, given very little time and energy by most Christians. Why, why, why is that? Why is that? Let me ask you a question. Why does someone not exercise? Why does someone not exercise? Two reasons. Number one, they don't have the discipline to do it. They don't have the discipline to take time and set it aside to give to bodily exercise. Number two, they don't see the profit in it. They don't see the profit in it. There are two things, two reasons why somebody doesn't jump in and doesn't exercise, doesn't live, doesn't do anything like that. They don't see the profit in it or they don't have the discipline. I believe the same is true with godliness. Far too many Christians first lack spiritual discipline to strive for godliness. We lack the spiritual discipline to get up in the morning and enough time to read our Bible and pray. We lack the spiritual discipline to carve out time to plan ourselves in the Word of God. To give ourselves to reading and exhortation. We don't have the discipline to memorize scripture and lift those spiritual weights. We don't have the discipline to tone our spiritual muscles with Christ-like living. We don't have the discipline to block out Sunday school or Sunday morning. Hey, you got that one right today, right? We don't have the discipline to block out Sunday night and Wednesday night to center ourselves around the preaching of the Word of God. The first reason is because I believe far too many Christians lack the spiritual discipline to be godly. But I do believe there's a second reason. We don't see the prophet in it. We don't see the prophet in living a holy life. We don't see the prophet in living a godly life. We don't see the prophet of living under God's authority and doing things in our life for his glory. We don't see the prophet of Sunday school or faithfully attending Sunday morning. We, don't, we just don't see the prophet yet of Sunday night. We don't see the profit of pausing in the middle of our week to drive down to church again on Wednesday night. We just don't see the profit of it. We have not yet seen the profit of personal Bible study and prayer. We have not yet seen the profit of living a separated holy life. And this is where this faithful saying, worthy of all accepting, helps you and I Focus. Paul doesn't hide the reason for you and I to be godly. He takes that excuse off the board. Paul says, I'm going to tell you why it's important for you to be godly. Bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable in all things. And look what Paul says there in verse number 8. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. We said, first of all, bodily exercise does profit. Second of all, bodily exercise does not profit as much as our culture places on it. Thirdly, 
Godliness is profitable. Number four. Number four. There is a profit to godliness in this life. There is profit to godliness in this life. Now, godliness does not always make life the most comfortable. Godliness does not always make life the most richest. I looked at my taxes, and we were putting my taxes together. And I looked at that little slip of how much I gave through Shawnee Baptist Church to God last year. And I thought, woo! I could have taken my kids to Disney World. I could have bought a, a fairly nice vehicle with that bad boy right there. There's a lot of things I could have done. And I didn't do. Godliness does not always make you the richest. Godliness does not always give you the most pleasurable time. I always think it's crazy when you know, we see commercials and somebody says, well, that doesn't look fun. I don't know, I see a lot of commercials and I say, yeah, that does look fun. That looks like it could be pleasurable. Now, the pleasure is for a season. The pleasure doesn't last. But godliness is not always pleasurable, and it's frankly, it's not always the easiest to live godly. Can I get a witness? It's not always the easiest to live godly. But how foolish to think that godliness does not profit for the world we're living in right now. How foolish to think that godliness is not profitable for today in my life. Spurgeon said this, I assure you, there are thousands of brethren who can affirm the same. That having tried the way of sin, we infinitely prefer the ways of righteousness for our own pleasure's sake even here. And we would not change with ungodly men even if we had to die like dogs. With all the sorrow and care which Christian life is supposed to bring, we would prefer it to any other form of life of being underneath the stars. What was Spurgeon saying? I've been there. And the way I'm living now is so much more profitable for today. There's a blessing to godliness. There's a blessing to godliness. Psalm chapter 84, verse number 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. How many were doorkeepers this morning? He held a door open for some. There were some people out there. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. For the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. What was he saying? There's a blessing to you and I living godly right now. There's also direction for those who live in godliness. Psalm chapter 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious of workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good and verily shalt thou be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord 
and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. You know what God promises to the one who lives a godly life? He promises direction. There's blessings, there's direction, there's provision. There's provision. I can stand here today and say, my needs have been taken care of by God. There's provision. Jesus said to his disciples after they expressed concern about their raiment and being fed. He expressed to them in Luke chapter 12, verse number 31, but rather seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things, raiment and food, clothing and food and, and provisions, all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus himself said that if you'll seek God first, if you'll be godly, that there's provision for you. There's a promise for godliness. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You can live today with a divine nature. Why? Because there's promises for you and I that are given, though, through godliness. We said there's profit in this life to godliness. You don't have to wait for the next life to profit. There's blessings and direction and provision. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says not only is it a profit for today, but there's also profit in that which is to come. There's profit in godliness in the life to come. You know, sin and, sin and vice offer nothing for the life to come. Genealogies and pedigrees offer nothing for the life to come. Worldly success offers nothing for the next life. Wealth offers nothing for the next life. Personal fame and beauty offer nothing for the next life. Achievements, degrees, doctorates, all of those offer nothing for the next life. By the way, physical exercise, it's profitable. There's some profit, but it offers nothing for the next life, the life which is to come. I've seen many a commercial that offers something for the immediate life. You know, I've yet to see a commercial that offers something for the life to come. I, I, brother, I've never seen one commercial that offered anything for eternity. A lot of things for pleasure. A lot of things for the immediate. A lot of things for today. A lot of things that would be a blessing for right now, but nothing that gives me anything for the life to come, but godliness. 
Godliness is profitable not only for today, godliness is profitable for eternity. I'm afraid there's far too many Christians that are going to get to heaven. And they're going to say something along these lines. I'm here. But I wish I would have. And then they'll fill in the blank. They'll be in heaven, but not much to show for the life that they lived here on earth. They'll be in heaven, but when it comes to casting crowns at the feet of the Savior, there's no crowns to cast. They'll be in heaven, but they'll be sorely disappointed in their lack of godliness down here. The scripture numerous times tells us that he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. I've heard people say, well, there's no crying in heaven. That's not true. He can't wipe away my tears if I'm not crying. There's a couple reasons I think we're going to be crying. One of those reasons is because we're standing in the presence of God. And our faith became sight. Come on now. Right? I don't know about you, that would make you cry. Man, when I get there and see him, come on. Yes, my friend. That's worth shedding a tear over. But I think there'll be other tears. I think there'll be tears because when our faith is made sight, I wish I would have changed. Man, I wish I would have. As that crown's being handed out for faithful living, man, I wish I would have been more faithful. As crowns and and rewards and treasures, as treasures are going to be handed out, you say, Pastor Frost, why do I need treasures in heaven? I have no idea. I I got really, I got no idea, but I can't wait to find out. Because I've been laying them up. He tells us, don't put treasure here where moth and rust doth corrupt and when thieves break through nor steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now I don't know why I need treasure up there, but he tells me to lay it up up there. I think there's going to be a whole lot of Christians whose tears are wiped away. Because they wish they would have been godly while they were here on earth. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Paul sums up this faithful saying there in verse number 10. Look there with me. Paul says, for therefore, because of what I just said, that bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things For this life and the life to come. For therefore, we both labor and suffer approach. Because we trust in the living God. Paul says, Timothy, there's a reason we're doing the things we're doing. There's a reason that we're not giving all our time and effort into things that don't walk into eternity with us. Because we trust in the living God. But he goes on to say, who is the Savior of all men? Notice what it says. Especially of those that believe. Let me say this morning, Jesus' work was adequate to save all. To save all. He died for the sins of the whole world, not just a select group of people. 
Jesus' sacrifice was for everybody. But it's only effective in saving those who come to him by faith. Look, look what it says. Who is the Savior of all men? All men have the opportunity for salvation. But only those that believe will inherit eternal life. Let me ask you this morning. How is your godliness? How is your godliness? How much time do you take for God? Oh, we take a lot of time for other things. And by, and by the way, those things aren't bad. There's a lot of good things in life. A lot of wonderful things in life. Including the one Paul uses here in this passage, bodily exercise. I love getting out and playing ball every now and then. I hate running. So do many of you. I don't mind. I, don't, I, I enjoy physical exercise. But Paul reminds us that though it profits, it doesn't profit as much as godliness profits in our life. What's been our perspective of it? Where, where have we been at personally? Or do we need to take time to exercise ourselves unto godliness?